Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Danny Shapiro, and this is The Way We Live Now. Today is day 77, since going out for a cup of coffee was a simple thing, and day 31 of this podcast. I've been thinking a lot about gratitude, and kindness, and fellowship. My guest today embodies all three, and has written a just-released book that was obviously written before the pandemic, but contains such powerful lessons for all of us right now. The book is The Way of Gratitude, A New Spirituality for Today. And my guest is Galen Gingrich, Senior Minister of All Souls Unitarian Church in New York City. Galen, thank you so much for joining me to talk about The Way We Live Now. Danny, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for the invitation. Tell us in as much detail as you can muster where you are right now. What do you see in your line of vision? I mean, this podcast is really so much about gathering. So this is my attempt to have us all gather. Well, like most of us, I'm at home. All Souls has been shut down for two and a half months. And it's been an astonishing sight to see the streets clear and quiet, people in their homes. And what I see most of my days is people who I know well and love, who I usually see in the sanctuary, on the streets, to see them on Zoom. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the way we're living now. And it's a dramatic and remarkable change, but it testifies, I think, to how much we are reaching out to each other in this time of the pandemic and connecting with each other in ways that we never have before. Do you find that Zoom creates a different kind of connection and intimacy? Like, how is it different from being in person? I think part of it is that you are face-to-face with everyone on Zoom. 
And typically when we get together, whether it's in a house of worship or in a meeting or in a restaurant, everyone is looking in their own direction and or in one direction and kind of paying attention to whatever uh, they happen to be looking at. But on Zoom, you're face-to-face with everyone, um, and you have a chance to interact in a way that typically in large gatherings you don't. Uh, you know, when people come to services, I do most of the talking, whereas on Zoom, um, everyone gets a chance to uh, to talk and to be a part of the conversation. So that part of it's really been wonderful. Mm. I miss seeing people in person. And uh, someone asked me the other day if I think we will find Zoom sufficient if all of these big buildings that are very expensive to maintain that are now standing empty, will whether people will return to them? And my answer is yes, because we are physical beings. And as long as there's breath in our lungs and blood in our veins, we are going to want to greet each other bodily and be with other people in person. A couple of months into this, the strangeness of um, even though we're connecting in all sorts of really remarkable and miraculous ways, the strangeness of not having physical presence and interaction and looking each other in the eye with all of our senses present is yes. making a lot of us a little wobbly, I would say. Yeah, we are physical beings yeah. and we live in bodies and the coronavirus has uh, forced us to, in some ways, deny that aspect of the way we relate to other people. And it's very hard. So I absolutely loved and devoured your new book, The Way of Gratitude. In fact, I know already that it's a book I intend to return to again and again. Um, and in writing about gratitude, right from the start of the book and all the way through it, um, there is a great deal of magnificent poetry woven through. Can you talk about the meaning of poetry for you and the spiritual connection to poetry? That's always been an important part of my spiritual journey. Interestingly enough, growing up conservative Mennonite, I became very familiar with the poetry in the Hebrew Bible, memorized lots of it. Um, and I studied uh, classical Greek poetry in college. And ever since I left the conservative Mennonite church, I, I always felt that I needed some way to ground my spiritual search and my spiritual practice. And for me, that came to be poetry, both ancient poetry and contemporary poetry that somehow in interacting with other people's description of their spiritual journey and the questions and the struggles and the fear and the celebration, that that gives me a way to broaden my sense of spiritual connection. So poetry really is an essential part of my journey. And I look at poetry as the scripture of contemporary spirituality. 
I, I see it as essential. Mm. I love that. The scripture of contemporary spirituality. So you, you begin one of your chapters um, by um, quoting a passage from a favorite poem of mine, uh, Try to Praise the Mutilated World by mm. Adam Zagajewski, which he wrote immediately after the terrorist attacks of 9-11. Right. Uh, and I'm just going to read just a little bit from the beginning of that chapter. Try to praise the mutilated world. Remember June's long days and wild strawberries, drops of wine, the dew, the nettles that methodically overgrow the abandoned homesteads of exiles. You must praise the mutilated world. And, you know, again and again, as I was reading your book, I was thinking, well, this is a book that was written over years, a couple of years ago, it takes a long time to bring a book out, and it could not possibly be more relevant right now. And there's this little passage where you write, in kind of a dialogue with that poem, you write, sometimes the world of our experience is maimed by human wickedness, by terrorists or rapists, by dictators or demagogues, by genocidal rulers or homicidal robbers. At other times, our world is mutilated by nature's indifference, to our preference for human life over other forms of existence and other forms of nature, by tumors or typhoons, by viruses or volcanoes, by heart attacks or hurricanes. The scars abound everywhere. Can you talk a bit about that in relation to this time? I mean, it just so stood out for me as mm. speaking to where we are. It's a great question, Danny, because I think. I obviously didn't know several years ago when I wrote the first version of the book that it would be published in the middle of a crisis that would so powerfully illustrate its central message, which is that everything in the universe is made up of relationships. If you take the physical entities that make up the natural world and press them all together, you could literally hold them in the palm of your hand. Everything else is relationships. So when you begin to look at the world from that point of view and recognize that who we are is how we are related to ourselves, to the people around us, to the natural world, then you start paying attention to life in a different way. And you start to acknowledge the problems in a much more open-hearted way. You look at problems and you see possibilities. But you also begin to notice the gift of life, the beauty of life, the wonder of life, the mystery of life, in a way that we usually never stop to notice because it isn't at risk. And when... The life we've taken for granted is suddenly taken from us or put at risk. We start to notice the little things, the drops of dew, the nettles, and many other things in our lives. So I think, for me, the realization that we can't take life for granted because it is uncertain. And so we need to kind of seize each day and live it to the fullest. And that's, that's kind of the central imperative of the way of gratitude as I have come to discover it. 
Yeah, as you're speaking, I'm thinking about the ways in which our lives, our plans have all been upended. And um, many of us who relied on a kind of rhythm of busyness or were ruled by our calendars, um, Mm -hmm. the whole idea of having plans has lately been striking me as just a very, it's like a fantasy. Plans are always in the future. And we've been forced into the present. And as I was reading your book, it was really striking me that this period of time um, really might place our spiritual lives in the foreground rather than the background of our daily hamster wheel. I think that's exactly right. And I think that we tend to live our lives on autopilot. We get focused on doing the next thing. We wake up in the morning and we know who we are and know what needs to be done today. And we just focus on doing that and we get to the end of the day and we sleep for a while and, and then we do it all over again. And we, we narrow our lives into this channel that takes us exactly where we go, but doesn't kind of pay attention to anything else. And this pandemic has forced us to look at our lives in a different way, to recognize that we are all in this together, that what happens half a world away can affect our lives in very real and practical ways. And so to me, spirituality and spiritual practice are about opening ourselves to the world of experience beyond the narrowness of our individual days. And sometimes we get encouraged to be open to the rest of the world in ways that um, initially, at least, we don't find it all appealing as we don't the coronavirus. But one of the benefits, if we open ourselves to what's happening in this time, is that we can learn the lesson of reception and openness and recognize that the connections and relationships that make up our lives are really what we need to focus on. Focus on making them good for us and focusing, focusing on making them good for the people in the world around us. And if, that, if we can learn that lesson in this time, it will have been a lesson that will change our lives forever. Mm-hmm. You write about the importance of ritual, and I was thinking a lot about that, and I've been thinking a lot about that for myself and my own life, um, in which ritual is very important. And you know, what would you say to people who, you know, our rituals have, many of them have vanished, the things that we did, uh, or let's say our habits have vanished, or our patterns of living the things that we did that made us feel better, the things that we did that were comforting or of solace to us in some way are often not available to us. What is the role and what is the possibility of ritual, especially for people who perhaps don't have a regular practice or or who aren't able to to inhabit those rituals because of social isolation right now? I think you're right that a lot of our rituals have vanished. And a lot of people don't like the word ritual because it's one of those words that kind of gets associated with uh, 
the traditional religion and religious doctrine and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I, I use the word practice a lot, uh, spiritual practice, mm-hmm. because practice is a word that, um, at least in the right context, we think of as a good thing. If you want to learn to play the piano well, you have to practice. If you want to be a good um, you know, baseball player, you have to practice. If you want to be a good chef, you have to practice your nice skills and your baking skills. So I see uh, spiritual practice as something you do repeatedly, not so much to get good at it, but because it's what keeps you reminded of things that you can't forget if you want to live the life that you long to live. If you want to live with meaning and purpose and joy, there are certain things you have to pay attention to, certain things that you have to keep in mind. And if you don't do that as a matter of habit, as a matter of practice, you'll forget them because we get distracted by all the things we have to do, the mundane tasks of our day. So I advocate what I call first light meditation, which is simply a time in the morning when we can set our spiritual compass for the day, figure out who we want to be in this day, remind ourselves that this is a gift, not a given, and that we need to savor this day and live it to the fullest. And I think doing that as a matter of habit, as a matter of practice, even ritual, if you will, is vital to living a life of purpose and joy. Mm. My last question to you is, what is bringing you a sense of hope or solace during this time when you're not in front of your congregation or you are on Zoom, but it's, you're having a different and more socially isolated experience. And we don't know how long this is going to go on, any of us. You know, we can hazard guesses, but we really have no idea. And I think a lot of people are, are feeling that. So I'm just wondering what's bringing you that sense of hope. Two things. One is that when you're in situations like we are now, where your life is sort of confined and compressed and you end up, in my case, uh, my wife, Holly Atkinson, and I, uh, she's a doctor on the faculty at uh, CUNY Medical School up in Harlem. Um, we've spent more time together in the past two and a half months probably than we have in the last, I don't know, 10 years. I mean, mm-hmm. it's extraordinary. Um, and you find out things about yourself. You find out if what you assumed would be true about yourself and your life when tough times come, whether it'll hold up. And I think one of the things that has given me a deep sense of joy is that I realized that my way of thinking about life, my way of trying to embrace life, my practice is up to this challenge. And that gives me an enormous amount of hope because I believe that as people realize that they need something to anchor on other than their identity at work or 
um, you know, what they can buy or other ways we usually define ourselves, that there's going to be a lot more reaching out spiritually, people who are seeking, who are connecting, who are reimagining themselves. And I think that's a good thing. Um, this coronavirus pandemic has really shaken us up and loosened some things that I think will provide real possibilities for the future. Um, as you know, I, I describe uh, people who live with gratitude as people who look at problems and see possibilities. So for me, this has been a very hard time. Um, We've lost a lot of people, particularly uh, in New York City. But I think we also see some possibilities for living together and working together that weren't there before. And that gives me hope. That's a beautiful message. Um, Galen, I want to thank you so much for, for your book. I hope everyone can get their hands on it during this time, especially during this time right now. And, um, and for taking the time to to talk to me today. I really, really um, appreciate it. So thank you. Thanks so much, Danny. And it's been a pleasure talking to you. And thank you for this podcast, which is really a source of comfort and wisdom in a time where we very much need both. So thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Way We Live Now. Tell us the way you're living now. We want to hear. Call us on, you might want to get a pen for this, 909-713-8995. That's 909-713-8995. And record your story, and we might just use it on the pod. Also, you can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash the way we live now pod. We are creating a community here, and we would love for you to join us. You can find me on Instagram at Danny Ryder. The Way We Live Now is a production of iHeartRadio. It's produced by Lowell Berlanti. Beth Ann Macaluso is executive producer. Special thanks to Tristan McNeil and Tyler Klang. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. 
The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.